Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Gag, a spoop cast where I, Joshua Simon, with my Space Force, talk about scary and occasionally spacey movies and how gay they made us um, and why they turned us into the gags that we are today. Um, I usually come up with a fancy acronym for gag. Uh, let me think. Uh, today I am a galaxy traveling, astrology espousing gerbil man. <laughs> gerbil man. I'm a gerbil man because there are some creatures in this film that we're discussing. But before we get to the movie, uh, I need to introduce my super special guest. Uh, he works for outer space and is the only known entity on this planet to have gone to college with both me and my sister because he transferred from the University of Maryland to New York University and managed to take a tap class with my very own sister before transferring. It's Danny Baird, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Danny. How are you? Good. I forgot I went to college with your sister. That's so funny. I forget I went to college sometimes. At all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the, the older we get, the more it's like... Remember learning things? Yeah. Your sister's also really good at tap. My it sister's was like a wild. very good tapper for someone who is now a therapist. I. It was like a beginner tap class and she was like in circles around everybody. It was wild. I think she might have been overqualified mm-hmm. in that because she had been she tapping flexing. for a she long a time. <laughs> you said, yeah, I think it was your sister. She came in and tap danced to Linkin Park and I'm like, no, that's definitely... <laughs> My sister tap dancing to Lincoln Park, that fool. So, Danny, uh, before we start, tell me what turned you gay this week. Well, right now I'm living with my parents, and they have a Peloton. You know those little like bike things. Yes, and and they have a computer program. They have a computer, and the computer houses like like people who are teaching classes. It's an app, right? Or it's like an app, kind of. Okay. Yeah. But, like, it's built into the bike. It's very fancy. It's too fancy for me. It's another way for people to not leave their houses, even exactly. to go to the gym. And you can pretend like you're taking a class. <sighs> Eventually, but... we'll never have to leave our houses. It's going to be great. <laughs> I, I'm living for that dream. But there's an instructor named Cody on it, who I don't think he's been told that this is just a, like, riding class, because he's treating it like his RuPaul's Drag Race, like, rundown podcast. I already love Cody. <laughs> he's also very attractive, okay. so I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> and, he's, and he's a member of the tribe. He's a member of the tribe, okay. and he's very thick. He's got uh, legs of a cycler. Well, the legs of a I mean, I mean, Lance Armstrong can, can crush can my it. head. Well, except for what he did to Sheryl Crow. Oh, right. We can't forgive him for that. We can't forgive him for that. What? The what? doping... What? Didn't he dump... He dumped Sheryl Crow. They were married, I think. How can you dump Sheryl Crow? I, that's what I'm saying. It's a crime <laughs> against uh, humanity. Uh, I will say that this... This film, watching this film definitely turned me a lot gayer this week, but remembering this film and how it affected me as a child, I think we finally found the the film that did it, the film that turned me gay. I think we, I, we're, we're at what, episode 5, 6, 12? I don't know, but I watched this movie and went, oh, yeah, I, this movie, this movie made me hella gay. And it's weird because there's nothing, like, ostensibly gay in it, but no. it is the gayest science fiction opera, right. space opera thing to happen ever. Yes, I, and normally on this podcast we do, well, I, I, I'm a horror movie, like, junkie. Everyone knows this. Um, when I asked you to be on the podcast, you were like, I don't really do scary. No. <laughs> can we do sci-fi? And I'm like, of course we can do sci-fi because there's so much overlap between horror and sci-fi. 
Um, this this movie is not very scary, but um, it is a fantastical journey. And the movie we're talking about is The Fifth Element by Luc Besson, released in... I have it. 1997. <laughs> um, and Luc Besson is very much heterosexual in fact so heterosexual he has several rape allegations <laughs> currently uh out there against him and let's see dated uh started dating most of his ex-wives when they were in their mid-teens Ooh, did not know did not know that and i mean it's not something that you can ignore and i wanted to bring it up right at the outset because i mean if we if we stayed away from every film directed by a horrible man, we would have to eliminate every film made before 2017. It's so hard. Some of my favorite films are Miramax films. And obviously Miramax is so problematic because Harvey Weinstein. Mm, but yes. like, it's it's just hard to separate the... the like, He's in jail art. now, which yes, is great. Which is amazing. Um, but it's hard to separate like like the beauty of the Miramax films versus the horror that was the man right. who produced them. I mean, separating the art from the artist is kind of just a bullshit way of pretending that I just don't don't know how people can do that I mean mm. you can't Rosemary's Baby is such a great film and I will watch it every time it, it comes on the tube or whatever we however we watch television now um but I can't ever be like oh yes Rosemary's Baby directed by I forget <laughs> like you know who these people are and and I mean in this film especially, in The Fifth Element, Besson was married to the actress playing Plata Laguna, the, the, the diva. I did not know that. And during filming, had an affair with Mila Jovovich, and then they were married shortly afterwards. Wow. That colors the movie in a whole nother way. It does, but also a very colorful movie in general. General, yes. I like Lots that. Neons. I like that Mila Jovovich, what with orange hair, is the idea of the most exotic-looking being that they can come up mm -hmm. with. It's like we need, we need to turn this alien rubber ducky in a fat suit into a beautiful woman who looks exotic. Let's hire a Russian and give her orange hair. And also for the number of times they say she is the perfect being, perfect. it's wild. And you're like, okay, I mean, she's Mila Jovovich. Obviously she's pretty perfect, but like, I don't know about the perfect being. They were like, I mean, every, as soon as she was created in a lab, which the science and the exposition of this film is li lacking, I, I would say. There's a lot of jumps in logic. There are so many, and Besson is part of a, a French film school called Cinema du Luc, which is a school that, that prizes spectacle mm -hmm. over story, and that's pretty obvious, because this film is a tight two hours, but the last 15 minutes comes crashing to it. And the whole thing serves up spectacle. It's just beautiful set after beautiful set. Exactly. Yeah. It's a journey, and that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. it's gay. It's just yeah. such a feast for the eyes. Also, costumes, Jean-Paul Gaultier, if I'm saying that right, like, oh, famous yes. designer, gay, Absolutely. notably. Absolutely, like, these costumes. Yes. Um, 
Be before we get even more into the plot of the film, I, I should probably mention that you work for Outer Space. I do. I work for NASA. Um, I'm like a contractor who supports the space communications and navigation program. So we deal with all the communications, navigation, uh, infrastructure, technology, that sort of thing. I'm not here representing NASA. If of course I was. not. <laughs> Nothing that you say is uh, uh, the opinion of the agency. My public affairs of office would murder NASA. me. Um, but I, I host one of their podcasts. I write a lot about space, um, and I just love love space and science fiction. And how did you get into working for space? Uh, I was a server in DC. I just moved down here from New York, and uh, like my mom's friend had said that NASA needed NASA Goddard, those like space flight center where I work, mm -hmm. needed help with like document archiving. So I was in one of the Earth Science libraries, just digitizing old documents. It was oh. like a government mandate. Um, but then they heard I was a writer, and then they pulled me onto this other team, and then I've been there for like three years, and now I manage social media and do all sorts of stuff like that. Oh, absolutely, I. Forgive me for leaving this out of your intro. You're a published author. <laughs> I'm are... not a, well, a published for NASA, published whatever for that NASA. means. <laughs> you are a writer and you've been published before and, yeah. and I should have probably mentioned that. No, 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 that. no. Um, so you're from Outer Space. That's pretty cool. Why did you choose this film? Well, re-watching it, when I was growing up, I watched this and I was like, this is amazing. This is what the future is gonna look like. Oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, Rewatching it, I think the reason I loved it so much growing up is just like the bright colors, the like, uh, like this vision of the future that was gritty but also like fabulous and opulent. Uh, and obviously, that future is not really what the future seems to be going to going look towards. like. It's gonna be more sleek chrome and steel than neon. Did they say and... what year this film supposedly? Does it... I think it's twenty thirty. Yeah, it's not too far. In the future. <laughs> yeah. I, but it, it's wild. It's, wow. <laughs> the setting. Um, I want to point out that Mila Govovich is fourth build in this movie. Which is <laughs> insane to me because she went on to be like uh, like Resident Evil, obviously Star. another sci-fi juggernaut. She's I think a, it's... Yeah, she's a legend to, to queer horror lovers. Absolutely. All over. And it's crazy because like who else like bruce willis obviously is like famous but like he's not serving up anything special in this movie well except for that orange tank top that orange tank top i mean he looks good I in was, that orange tank top i wrote down when i was watching it like is bruce willis daddy and like is he daddy i think film? he might be even though like i don't want him to be this is a younger bruce willis i mean this film is almost 20 years old yeah but he also plays a cab driver and looks like a cab driver you know what i mean yes. like he's not like serving I he's am. A, he's a cab driver, and what I love about science fiction movies is that so often they take you to space where everything is so amazing, like the future, everything is big and booming, and it's a huge metropolis, and then they focus on somebody very ordinary. Like mm -hmm. in Star Wars, they focus on, what is he, a water, a moisture farmer? <laughs> I don't, I don't Star Wars, but um, they, they go, they go to different planets, these amazing things, and then focus on like working joes i think it's because the best science fiction you need to have something that you can like believe in almost and in this one especially where none of the logic makes sense none of the science makes sense you yeah. need to have somebody who like is ordinary so that and you can sort of to relate to yeah them. map yourself onto them because the world doesn't look like anything we could ever possibly live in yeah i mean this this world is this future is also like not pristine this is also somewhat of a 
dirty future, mm-hmm. and yet uh, somehow the the film, the set decoration makes all this garbage look really, really cool. Yeah, it's like chic. Like <laughs> even like when they're, I think there's even like even garbage is sleek. Yes, there's like a a like a where they're launching off to go to another planet. There's like a trash collector, like like a strike or something, and there's just garbage everywhere. But I it looks love like that a beautiful wall. I love that this film contains a union dispute. I mean, as a side, every as show a... should. <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> and then, like, some of the aliens, like, run away by disappearing into the garbage. I just love that. I love these these moments in this film. It's a film that lives on its moments because, as a whole, it can be very confusing. Yes. Um, but just, it's never dull. Mm-hmm. So there's that for it. And I'm not saying that I don't love this film. This film is gorgeous, and I will... I, I agree, but on rewatching it, it does, it didn't age as well as I would have liked it to. <laughs> yeah, I found that as well. Um, I do like that Bruce Willis was woken up by um, a voice telling him to quit smoking as it offered him a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, that's me every morning to myself in the mirror. That sounds please, like please a Please stop smoking. <laughs> Your cigarette is like, hey, don't smoke Don't me, do this. But here's a lighter. <laughs> right. <laughs> I... Um, well, we should probably get into the plot of this film, whatever that may be. So, you know, if we completely fuck up the plot and you're listening, Mr. Nerdy Plot Man, don't, don't come after me. I have a family who I love very much. (laughs) Um, they don't need to know that I'm making podcasts for, for nerds like you. Anyway, this film starts in Egypt. Yes, it does. That's in a nebulous Egyptian tomb. Starts in a pyramid. Love that. Pyramids are super gay. I'm a slut mm-hmm. for archaeology. There's a lot of triangles in this film, a lot of symbology. So many triangles, triangles in yeah. this film. Even like the, like there are four, I mean, in the opening scene, there are these four sort of like pillars that represent the four elements. The four elements. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yes. But they are all like triangular, like prisms of like stone. Mm-hmm. Um, very low tech looking, but they end up being the most high tech thing in the world. It's more magic than sci-fi, honestly. <laughs> and um, I love the, the it's not a tiny detail, of course, but this, the spaceship that the alien beings come, who come down to Egypt and reveal that, you know, they've been orchestrating, like, the fate of the galaxy since day one, their spaceship is an upside-down pyramid. Is I did not? not even notice that, yes. Or is it... It's something like it's that. It's something kind... It... it, it it's kind of an inverse of the pyramids themselves. themselves yeah. And Those then, are very bulbous. Everything that that sort of race of people yeah, like manufactures. Yeah, aliens come out and they definitely look like these very... <laughs> they're, they're not very mobile. They look like... Do you know Botero, the the sculptor? Like, he does these, um like, very, like, like, not obese people. They're, like, ballooned people. Like Michelin man, like kind people. of, yeah, but yeah. it's like that sort of aesthetic, but but bizarre. They're bizarre looking. They they can kill people with their laser eyes, and they they do not move these, fast. They which move is very slowly. Mm-hmm. A big plot point for people that have to like save the world. You'd think that expediency would be built into their mm-hmm. genetics, but it's not. <laughs> Well, it seems like they've mastered space travel, but not necessarily the wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like some, like, Heelys on those little feet would have made a little happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, the the pyramid that is at the opening of the movie with R.I.P. Luke Perry as, like, the archaeologist's assistant. 
these aliens appear and one of them has a key in his finger. Mm-hmm. I did notice this time how fragile that key is. Like it comes out of this big alien and it's this really like flimsy little thing. And I suppose that's supposed to represent how fragile the fate of humanity is mm-hmm. throughout this film. Like the world is is continuously saved through sheer dumb luck in this film. 100%. And it really sets up how delicate that balance is. Mm-hmm. A delicate balance <laughs> starring Faith Prince. Bottle of cream. Um, <laughs> should we talk about Corbin Dallas? Which one's Corbin Dallas? That's Bruce Willis's character name. Oh, God. I know them by Bruce Willis and Mila. That's Bruce all I know. and Mila. Yeah. I feel... I mean, Corbin Dallas. That sounds Quite like a, a name. that sounds like a gay porn studio. I uh, Corbin Fisher. Corbin Dallas. I'm sure, there's something like something Donnie does Dallas or something. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a porn star out there named like Dallas Smith or whatever. I mean, I'll Google it later. <laughs> so anyway, Bruce Willis is wearing this orange tank top. He's dressed and named after a power bottom. And... The tank top notably has cutouts in the back, which is. Yeah. Weirdly sexy and not a look you see. No, all of the all of the fashion in this movie made by Jean Paul Gaultier, as you say. I mean, it's neons, it's cutouts, it's like it's very like future looking, but also like super playful, which I really enjoy. Like it's yeah. circuit party almost. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's at at Ibiza, like sipping a vodka soda. I mean, when we talk about Ibiza, the entire second act of this movie takes place at, a, at what's essentially a, a spa? It's, okay, this blew my mind because I've been watching this new HBO series, Avenue 5, mm. and it's essentially the set of Avenue 5 is where the second act of this takes place because it's like a pleasure yacht orbiting Saturn, Oh, wow. and this one's like a pleasure yacht orbiting an imaginary planet. They call it something like... Um... Floston something? Floston Paradise, maybe? Floston Paradise. It's a very not sexy name. Not sexy For a movie name, that's but... as sleek and sexy as it is, they're like, let's go to the sexiest place we can think of. It's called Floston. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a township in New Jersey. I know, yeah. But, you know, some of the best circuit parties are in, in New Jersey, Jersey. townships. I've always said. <laughs> <laughs> always, he's always said it. Always. When we're introduced to Corbin Dallas... He's this everyman who still has the ability to turn the tables on a mugger mm-hmm. in the opening scene. Well, because it's he's a cabbie now, but he was formerly like a major with the special forces. Yeah, they introduce it's it's almost, but it's unclear how he fell in the ranks, other than his wife left him. Yeah, I mean, he drives his cab around Futureville, mm-hmm. wherever that takes place, and then I think it's supposed to be New York. Is it supposed to yeah, be New like, York in the future? Loki. Okay. They mentioned it is a yellow York. taxi. You don't put a yellow taxi in your Futureville if it's not supposed no. to be yeah, yeah. future New York City. <laughs> One of the rubber ducky Michelin men aliens crashes mm-hmm. and they find a, a single strand or like a, a hand or something that they then decide to use their special science skills to recreate a being made from this DNA because this is the future and mm-hmm. they can do that. It's very Westworld, very the opening thing of Westworld. Yeah. But like very impressive CGI given when this was made. Yeah. But still not quite believable. Now why when 
they recreate this human and then force it to grow skin, does it grow this beautiful porcelain Mila Jovovich skin and then sprout mm. orange hair with you know, weird roots? <laughs> the Mila's got some weird roots going on. I, the, the thing they say about her is that, like, in the movie she has... So we have a double helix DNA, and she has, like, a triple, a hundred helix... Quintuple yeah. he, Like, she has so much DNA. DNA. I'm like... Uh, Which is... That... Whatever. But but I suppose that's what gives you orange hair. I guess. I, I'm, I'm a little confused why <laughs> she has so much DNA and that makes her the perfect being. Is it because... It makes her adaptable? Is it because it makes her... I think it's supposed to be like genetic memory. Like it mm. stores all the knowledge of whatever. Even though she can't speak English for the first... Even yeah. though she can kind of because she reads signs. But she can't speak it or understand it. Again with the fragility. She's she's created and she's this perfect being. But she is very frightened. She's mm-hmm. very young. I mean... Luc Besson would make his hero a, a very young baby baby girl type archetype and then call her the fifth element. Apparently Luc Besson thinks the fifth element is pussy. Um, <laughs> earth, air, fire, water, pussy. pussy. Mm-hmm. Adding elements like pokey types. I remember when that. there were only like four types of Pokemon. Like Those were the plant, good days. Ugh. Plant, water, fire, earth. And then they started adding psychic and ice and metal and plastic and like a time, time Pokemon and cardboard it's too much. and fleece, and <laughs> the fleece Pokemon, fleece and wool Pokemon. You know, they're just adding shit. Um, Got to make a coin, you know. And I just want to know. Oh no, I lost the thread. We're gonna have to edit this part out because <laughs> I have no idea what That's I was okay. gonna say. Um, the the plot is too perfect like as as we've said the spectacle is is put above plot Mm -hmm. in all ways in this film but i i was totally gagged by how she falls off of the roof of the building she escapes from into corbin dallas's taxi Mm -hmm. and then one of the generals who oversaw her creation and is now overseeing her capture as soon as he is told he has to save the world, he goes, I know the perfect man for it. And he chooses the guy <laughs> whose taxi cab she literally landed mm-hmm. in. It's it's very <laughs> convenient. It's script writing for... Well, I did read this about the movie. I think he started writing it when he was like 16, he said. Like he came up with the idea. And it is very much like what I would have written as sci-fi at. 14, 15, you know, you like, know, like she falls into the hero's arms and then mm-hmm. it turns out that he's the perfect candidate for saving the mm-hmm. world. And then Who they magically by happenstance end up on the perfect planet where they have all the resources they need to complete their task. It's very like paint by numbers sci-fi. I'm also incredible, like incredibly confused by the part of this film in which he wins a rigged contest mm-hmm. that sends him to this uh, paradise planet but he was gonna go there anyway because the element priest played by ian holm mm-hmm. told him he had to go there to save the world so it was basically like three people are trying to give him the same exact thing and i'm wondering why and it's bizarre because then there's also like three different not three different two different villains who are also trying to get there on his ticket 
So there's like five people involved in this one journey that he has to take. I know. There's so much meandering here. And then for the last 15 minutes of the film to be so breakneck Mm -hmm. as it is, like the world is saved, then it's in danger again, then it's saved, and then it's in even worse danger. And then within five minutes, it's saved again. Yes. And that is just a wild ride. Yeah, the pacing is interesting. There's also a lot of, like, and I get that they probably spent a ton of money on sets and costumes, but there is a lot of, like, lingering on items that we didn't, that I think at the time we'd be like, whoa, look at this amazing CGI, or whoa, look at this amazing thing. But now when we've got tight Star Wars movies where every single shot is filled with Infinitely Exposition, better, yeah, information, yeah. tiny details that only the nerdiest of nerds are going to notice. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, there's so much detail in mm-hmm. this movie for a movie that doesn't have a ton of detail in its plot. It has a ton of detail in World building else. out the wazoo, yeah. I mean, it is, yeah. World building 101, this movie is building. <laughs> a masterclass. <laughs> is, is a Lego master. <laughs> I, and um, we can certainly talk about one of the gayer parts of this film, which is Gary Oldman's villain. Yes. Em- Very I, I confusing. Keep wanting to, I keep wanting to call him Emperor Zorg, but his name is just like Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Yeah, but I th- but like his company, Wait, I think, is just called Zorg. 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 So like, I, I think of him as Zorg. But so, he's like an arms dealer plus like magnate of employees. I mean, he's somehow. a robber baron. He's a capitalist. With a Texan sort of accent. And... This hairdo where half of his head is plastic and the other half is Kardashian hair Mm -hmm, or something. mm -hmm. It's like sleek black hair. And he gives this blistering monologue in his first scene about why greed is good. He he gives a very Michael Douglas-y monologue about cogs in the machine and how everything is plays its part. And then goes on to be one of the most uneventful villains no yeah because he's not even the real i mean the real villain is this sort of like existential threat of this like galactic being that's going to destroy yeah, everything there's this darkness and mm. mila jovovich being the fifth element is the only one that can fight it yes but before she does that she has to get through um zorg who's taking answers from this mysterious darkness known as mr shadow yeah. to him so he's more like a minion honestly mm-hmm. of of this darkness but he reads like the actual villain but then disappears from the film pretty early considering he really just kind of pops in and out to be super uh to be super gay and then run away it's uh, yeah that's an that's a gay coded villain i I don't know if he's queer i mean he's pretty queer coded as a villain he's very i mean it's the easy choice in a lot of these older films just like make the villain kind of gay and then it's yeah, once you otherize a villain, it's it's pretty easy to queer code them. Mm-hmm. But everything in this movie is so queer. Yeah, I mean, and also like we have uh, it's Chris Tucker, right? Chris, yes, Tucker. and I forget his name. Ruby Rod. Ruby Rod, who is not. I th- I mean, he's played as I guess straight, but I would argue it's he's more like androgynous. A... The original choice to play that character was Prince. Oh, for real! And oh my based, god, that would have been and amazing. And they based his character on like Prince and Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and that kind of women love him because he embraces his feminine side, but is also like a very sensual person, and is 
really just out there in a way that is attractive and i love chris tucker in this movie unbelievable the first time i saw it it annoyed the shit out of me i'm like why is this character here the second time i saw it i'm like this is one of the best parts of the movie the fourth fifth and sixth time i watch it i'm like bring me more ruby rod like name another character name another actor who's done something similar it's kind of innovative i think there, is, there are very few people like Chris Tucker out it's there. It's wild. And this is such like a, like, again, he's doing this androgynous thing. And you only see him having, uh, like, physical interactions with women. But it's very much like a like a David Bowie, a, a prince, sort of like yeah. omnisexual, yeah. Uh, hypersexual just, sort I mean, of performance. I mean, there is a, a, a sequence in which there's a shootout at the end airport or whatever you call it when it's in space already um the spaceport yeah (laughs) thank you um thank you nasa um where he's just it keeps cutting back to him performing cunnilingus yes is that what happens he's just like um i'm gonna eat i'm gonna eat this flight attendant's pussy no matter what gunshots or explosions i might hear in the distance this is number one this is most important on my list i need to Eat this flight attendant out. <laughs> and, like, the her legs sort of, like, rise as the, like, engines as are, like, engine sort of, rises. like, g- gearing up. It's... That's cinema do look, baby. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> what is he? He's, like, a radio host? He's, like, a radio host. And this is something I have a bit of an, uh, an issue with. Yeah. In terms of... Not, like, an issue with his performance at all. But... So he's a radio host who mm-hmm. has a two-hour radio program. And he's hosting it on another planet. And they've established that this planet is many hours away by light speed. Mm. And they do? Yes, because they go they jump to light speed. Oh right. At they a like point put everyone they, to sleep. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And you can't space style. Yeah, yeah. You can't host a radio show if it's light speed away, because communications travel at light speed. Well, not in the future, right? No, I mean, even, I mean, some of my, the science fiction I'm obsessed with now, Avenue 5, also The Expanse does this, they they play to that, because it's a limit right now in terms of what we can communicate at. It's always the speed of light. So you have these long delays. Mm-hmm. So really, it should have been less like a live radio show, like they were playing it, and it was more, it should have been more like a, like, we're recording this for future use. But, but maybe keeps, that's mean that He keeps <laughs> saying it's live. Well, he's always hooked up to... Maybe, maybe uh, in the future, social media will travel faster sure, than, than the speed, speed of light, light. You know, because this movie being released in 1997 somehow foresees the future that we're living in, where everyone is always kind of like jacked into mm-hmm. social media. Like he's constant. Like people are constantly going live on Instagram and Facebook, and that's essentially what he does as a public figure totally the whole time and i was like well this is quite uh um for foreshadowing for what we're living in right now where everyone is constantly like putting themselves out there mm-hmm. on social media and more than that they're also monitored for like um like bruce willis's cab like driver's license points go down live as he makes mistakes in his car. So there's like an element of like as he makes the mistake of allowing the police to hook a jerry rig like up to his car. Yes. And then he decides to save her and drive away. Mhm. But that sort of like black mirror like we're monitoring your points at all times and we're all plugged in is very much present in the movie. Mhm. Uh, this movie jumps into so many different 
genres like it, it one point it's gay forest gump in space like another point it's kind of like a hawaiian diehard he's like shooting up he's saving everybody at this beautiful paradise mm-hmm. and his character just to me it's like a pastiche i mean not a pastiche like a like a collage of things like how many ideas can we force into this two hour five minute it is like a pastiche and it's almost as if they're going what do we know bruce willis is good at mm-hmm. we know he's good at shoot 'em ups we know he's good at winning the broad we know he's good at being kind of like this hot every man mm-hmm. so and we're just pretty funny in the movie too like he is funny no. bruce willis is a funny guy we can also talk about uh the priest vito cornelius and his bar mitzvah boy assistant oh my gosh yeah that the that, assistant why is that part there is his name david i, I like he's yeah. very jewish he's he is wearing like, his yarmulke he doesn't really working do for anything. a priest maybe that's like, not but he's also jewish. like the priest like seamstress sort of like he's making clothes in the background at one point he has a weird, like, hat that looks like a poop emoji. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But also, like, Devo a little bit. A little Devo, a little Yamaka, a little poopy. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. But but what what religion are they? Uh, mystical space. Mystical space. Protector uh, religion. Okay. There's an early scene where it's them and then peop- uh, a couple priests, I think, dressed very much like a cardinal and a bishop. Well, the priest at the beginning, who is in cahoots with the aliens at the archaeological Mm. site i mean he's these priests are in are supposedly in communication with these beings these beings who are protecting us and for some reason the first time i saw the movie i thought luke perry in the beginning his his archaeological assistant character grew up to be the priest in the future but i'm like that's that would literally hundreds of years that's impossible (laughs) but maybe it's his great great great-great-grand-nephew or something. Yeah. Um, but this priest, now in, in the, the time frame that this the main chunk of the movie takes place in, he is not uh, nearly as competent as the no. other priest. Is it because these protectors ran away and, like, kind of ghosted these mystics? These well, mystic religious people i don't understand why uh, again another plot hole in the movie is he's like with the president at the beginning again with right. these other priests of like coded to be of major religions so but he's a had seems to have one follower and not a real it's not a religion it's sort of like just one guy who's the protector of the the myth the realms how did he get into the room with the president the president mm-hmm. of the galaxy the president oh yes well By of course way. centered in new york city of weirdly. course says more about how New York thinks of themselves so, than, yeah. than anything else. Mia Jovovich. Mila? Mi- I think Mila, Mila but Mila I also have no Jovovich idea. Jovovich can be from the past or from the future, is how she was described by the director. And she is giving an amazing performance in this film. Like, she does not leave anything to the imagination. She's, like, giving it all to you right there. She's surprisingly good for someone known for, like, again, Resident Evil, where it's just... um, But, like, there's a lot of, like, really intimate shots of her face where she's giving you a a lot of, like, nuance or at least just pure emotion, which Mm -hmm. is sometimes what I want in a sci-fi. I'm not looking for, like, one gentle tear. I'm looking for... (laughs) I'm looking for this... This badass to, (laughs) to go ham and just beat the shit out of a bunch of 
mudfish looking aliens who are horny for death they are just ooh, self-described warriors and repeat that over and over again <laughs> these weirdos um i kind of love them though i mean they're they're there <laughs> they're they're more interesting to they killed me my than... girl the diva though which is unacceptable the diva is what the diva is what made me gay i mean the diva and her five minute opera sequence it's is so an absolute <laughs> is an absolute masterwork. It's a treasure. It really is. And I I that's actually how I was introduced to this movie. I heard an aria known as the mad scene in which a woman sings uh, after she goes insane, murders her fiance, sings while delusional after the fact. And so the diva sings this beautiful aria and then goes into this hot beat. And it just, <laughs> she just wails. and Serving coloratura, serving bass, serving like weird arm movements. Serving weird arm movements. And so that actress is, is Mei Wen and she was married to the director. She sang on the... She she did sing, but they replaced they dubbed over her voice with another singer and a coloratura soprano named I believe Inva Mula. And when they showed her the music, Mula was like, "Um, this is literally impossible to <laughs> sing. The human voice cannot make these vocal changes that fast." And they were like, "It's okay. We'll just replace your voice with like an auto tune, like vocoder type thing." <laughs> and it's so awesome it's so awesome and also the precursor like, to Cher's belief it album. sounds like a lot of singers nowadays because they just do that thing where like they'll rather than and yet it's used sparingly because for the most part breath this bitch is supporting her core controlling her breath and mm. singing for the gods and when she can't the computers take over <laughs> but it's a very it's it's just a beautiful piece of music that i can listen to forever and it's so fun to watch because she's in this I mean, she's an alien, so she's this crazy blue creature with, mm. like, tentacles and a Squidward-esque head. But, like, just, like, really kind of, like, rocks the embodiment of I'm a creepy alien. I'm just... this alien, but, you know, I'm I'm tall and beautiful and fantastic. And a mystical sort of, like, I have friends who own these rocks that are going to save the universe. Ah, yes. The rocks that are going to save the universe are placed in the hands of one of the most famous singers of mm -hmm. the galaxy and then real she... real chill guys yeah <laughs> and not she, conspicuous at all she somehow places these giant rocks in Inside her abdomen of her body and bruce willis has to pull them out after she's been shot yeah which seemed like a a stray bullet so again was she planning on having her abdomen blown open by a stray bullet also, was that the plan the whole time? She's teeny. These rocks could not have fit in her. Did she eat them whole? Did That's she... a good question. Well, again, she couldn't can have fit she, them. Can she unhinge her jaw like a snake? Is that how she sings? She is, is an alien. Like well, you know, the bigger the mouth, the better the singer. One has said. Who has said that? Don't know. Okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, here's something I want to know. They create this perfect being that is Mila Jovovich. Tits and orange hair are apparently essential for this being, mm -hmm. but not eyebrows. Where are her eyebrows? I may have been watching a little too much Drag Race because I did not even notice that she didn't have eyebrows. No, <laughs> she did not even notice. 
I love wild. that Drag Race has made you unable to, to see, see eyebrows. Well, I just, I'm, it's so common now not to have eyebrows because girls gotta paint them on. Yep, you gotta glue them down, paint them on. That's wild. I didn't even notice. There were a lot of close-ups on her face, and I'm just like, are her eyebrows dyed blonde? Like, what's going on? And why? And why am I so pressed about these eyebrows <laughs> when the world is at is at it's, stake? Well. They, they also spend a lot of time... The world is, like, literally about to end. Every... They spend some time feeding her chicken. Yep. They give her makeup. Yep. They give her, like, lessons in English, which maybe she needed, Teach her how but... to Google so that she can look up war and be really sad about it. Yeah. There's a lot of... And also, like, why didn't the diva, when she got these rocks, just go to the earth? She didn't need to perform her concert. Like, there's a lot of, like, the world is ending in 48 hours, but in spite of that, we're gonna all, like... Go on our own little journeys. Let's go to let's go to a space paradise and yeah. just chill out for a bit. Even I, people who know the stakes don't care. <laughs> it, it's also interesting how it's a film in which the villains never, the villain and the heroes never really meet. They yeah, meet through they meet through like their emissaries, but they never even Zorg, who's not who, who's painted as the main villain, but turns out to just be a, a yet another cog mm-hmm. in the great uh, machinery of the galaxy. The only time you see Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman in the same shot is when he's going into an elevator, Bruce Willis is, and Zorg, Gary Oldman, is coming out of another elevator. And Mm -hmm. for like a frame, they are in the same shot. And that's it, which was really interesting. I, I don't know... It would seem it makes for no conflict, but I think there is conflict in the movie. Yeah. It's just that the conflict is never, it's more like fighting bureaucracy or fighting like, like capitalism aliens the or, military yeah. industrial complex. I mean, as a weapons manufacturer and dealer, Zorg is painted as this is how villains are made. They, mm-hmm. they get resources and they make their millions off of the the pain and and the death of the disadvantaged by selling weapons, by selling machinery, by basically stepping on every head that they can. There's like a little micro scene where one of uh, Zorg's like apprentices or interns or something comes up to him and is like, we need to fire half a million people. Yes. And then he goes, we're firing a million. And then they just fire a million, and one of them happens to be... To be Corbin Dallas, who yes. works for a taxi... Yeah, he says, let's fire people from the taxi company. And then, in a throwaway scene, uh, Bruce Willis's character gets fired. But yep. he doesn't... I mean, he's literally already in the middle of saving the world again. Yes, so... Who who can, who can has the time to read their letter of termination? Well, he's, he does read it, doesn't he? He does, but because the man on the, like... The general's already there to, like, tell him he has to save the world. Right, yes. And then he gets fired. But there's, like, this... By I, the villain of the movie. I, it's wild. This man who's, like, on a, like, Japanese-style boat that has, like, a, an engine on it that flies, who's serving him food and makes him read the letter. And oh, then gives him free lunch because yeah. it's bad news. Yeah, the flying... Probably problematic, that scene. But, like, really, really cool idea to yeah, have, I mean, like, this flying, like... Oh traditional sort of again did Luc Besson uh, foretell the invention of uh, Postmates <laughs> honestly yeah I do want to talk about the like final two minutes of the film in which suddenly even though Zorg has been defeated 
the giant ball of sad that is threatening to consume the universe uh, still has to be dealt with. Yes. And there are like five minutes left in the movie and they deal with it in those five minutes. Yeah. I mean, there's like the slapstick bit of they can't figure out how the stones work. Ah, yes. The stones that they managed to retrieve from the body of Of the the dead opera singer. And they managed to work them by just like lighting a fire and blowing wind and putting water on them. Very obvious. I do. I do love that. They're like, ah, how do we make these elements work? (gasps) What if we used elements? Yes. Um, But I think the more compelling bit about the end is that right before the like uh, the fifth element, Mila, has to like save the world, she's shown or she shows herself sort of war in this computer that's sort of showing her imagery of, and learning about yeah, history. And she's like, why is the world worth saving? And yeah. and Corbin Dallas Willis is like, because I love you. Which is, I mean, cute, kind of a trope. Such but a like, trope. I love I, it a little. I, I know. It's Cause, cute. Because she does such a good job of making me... She sells it to me, you know? Absolutely. It could have been lame, but instead I'm like, you know what? The world isn't worth saving, but like... We're going to do it anyway because we all want some dick. But for sweet Bruce Willis kisses, yeah. Sure, sweet sure, Bruce sure. Willis kisses. And then I love that the film ends on them saying, hold on, Mr. President. They're fucking. In like a little tube. In a little tube. Surrounded by scientists. They don't give a shit. The president is there. It's and the they're future. like, sorry. You can do what you we want. Fuck. <laughs> We're busy. I mean, you'd think they'd have found a less cramped place to have sex, but also they, they're being like healed. That's a healing chamber. Yeah. I, I think like the, uh, like the science or whatever that they're doing is they're being subjected to UV rays or something, which is somehow going to heal you, even though it's just tanning. But So they're in a tanning bed. <laughs> Having they sex be fucking in front of the president. And the president is watching them. And that, to me, is the future liberals want. I, absolutely. <laughs> I, honestly. Blowing off the president. You'll find me later today in a tanning bed. <laughs> Saying, not right now, no. Mr. President. <laughs> I mean, I would look for any excuse to blow off the current president. But uh, <laughs> not that not that uh, you as a member of a government organization can say anything about that. No. But, uh... But alas. Space Force. Space Force. Is there anything else we haven't touched on in this movie that you want to no, touch? No, I mean, I think that there's like a, something to be said for the lasting impact of this movie. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think many young people have seen it now, I certainly think it, even just the costumes, there is so much cosplay that happens around specifically Mila Jovovich's like orange, like... like um, uh, her orange, like suspenders? thing, yeah. Well, they wrap her in this cute little bandage dress yeah it's like there's a lot of good looks for her that i think oh, yeah, like stood the looks. test of time she's yeah. serving several looks for the runway um just born realness <laughs> bandages over breasts realness uh eating raw chicken in a in a bathrobe realness oh my god yeah kick ass judo lady realness as she's beating all the mud fish that are in the hotel room. I, that's the other thing that makes that scene with the uh, opera singer so fantastic mm-hmm. and so just makes my gay little heart sing because she's kicking ass while this other woman is singing to the rafters. I'm just like, this is this is theater. I mean... Yeah, and like punctuating this opera song with just hardcore action. So compelling. With, with dodging bullets and punching... 
punching big mud men in the face. And I think that's the legacy of this movie. It is the diva, so- this diva scene and, and the Mila Jovovich's costumes and just, just the set, fact that Mila became like Resident Evil, you know? Yeah, this was her first major... Th- I mean, this is what put she's her on so the young. map. Yeah. I mean, we she's so young. She's and so young. And... She was so young that the director just had to sleep with her. Um, but now she's married to the director of most of the Resident Evil films. And is she really? Yeah. And oh, it's gotten to the that. point where her their daughter is now in the movies, too. Oh, I love, I love that. that. Yeah. Because they're so fun, especially yeah. the first one. It was It's iconic. It is iconic. And uh, thanks to this film for all of the issues it might have in plot and all of the issues with the uh, gross person directing it it put Mila Jovovich on the map Mm -hmm. it gave us Bruce Willis in an orange tank top it gave us a very strange but watchable villain a black president played by a former uh, wrestler Tommy Tiny Lister his his nickname is Tiny love that um you he's can also, good. He's very good. You can also see him in, the, I believe, The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, really? He's one of the prisoners on that transport boat. Oh. He's the one who, like, speaks for the other ones. Oh, that's a beautiful that's scene. That's a beautiful scene. And so, gotta mention Tommy, Tommy Lister. And, of course, Ruby Rod, Chris Tucker. Genius. And the diva, Plava Laguna. Making a bunch of nerdy sci-fi queens <laughs> of us all. So I have a question for you, yes. Daniel. Did you gag on this film? I did gag on this film. Is there anything... Did you gag on it, all of it, or is there anything that really, really gagged you about it? Um, I gagged on the question whether or not Bruce Willis is daddy, and I think I've come to, at the end of this podcast, say yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is daddy. I'm going to disagree with you. Oh. Yeah, and say that he's still too young with his bleached hair... Despite the receding hairline, he's... Mm. I mean, he was born with a receding hairline. That's always been Bruce Willis. But I just think that... I don't know. Was he already a dad by the time this movie came out? I don't Maybe. know. I think daddy's a state of mind. I think uh, I think he could be my dad. <laughs> I mean, I went bald at 20 and then grew a beard. So I've been called daddy since the age of 20. So you have I've youth energy. You been have constantly... <laughs> as soon as my hair decided to be like a bunch of Jewish grandparents and just migrate south... <laughs> to the southern edge of my face uh i've been called a dad and i'm like i don't really i don't, I don't really get that at all energy. i don't have dad I energy. Have vibrant uh sparkle energy. i i definitely feel like a gay grandpa sometimes oh i feel like, that like an elder gay i don't know it's like the younger the younger gays are so much farther ahead of the curve than i was at at their Dude, age it's hard. and i just feel like i'm struggling to keep up with their with their tiktoks and their <laughs> and their uh and they're coming out at like nine years old I'm to, like, to pete buddha judge and um oh that was a cute thing that happened this week the nine-year-old that, that 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 uh mayor pete helped come out of the closet I, I also feel like a gay grandpa when i like talk about how much less gay porn there was when i was growing up it's exploded. I feel now like there are options on options. I feel like a, a guy saying, like my grandfather, when he was talking about the limited uh, TV stations, like back in my day, back in my day, we only had three channels of gay porn. Corbin one of them, was, one of them was still entirely black on white. Oh God! Oh my God! <laughs> Oops! Yeah, it was all problematic oh, yeah. back then too. Oh, I mean, porn is still very racist. Still, yeah, but there's like some porn studios that are like at least trying to make 
normal stuff happen and not like <laughs> what do you have to type into the search bar to see black people in porn Oof. well that's yeah why do we have to type in the word ebony what what is that all about um i've talked to a lot of black people about that and uh you're welcome by the yeah. way uh <laughs> none of them would ever want to be called ebony I don't Except think anyone's used that term since that mm. song, Ebony and Ivory. Like, I don't even think they used it back then. Yeah. Who knows? Um, who, Who's that magazine? Who but... truly knows? What magazine? Oh, yeah, Ebony. yeah, Ebony. Yeah. Well, and then there are people named Ebony. There are. There are. I don't know anybody named Ebony, actually. I do, but she spells it with an I-E, so it's different. I like that. Um, would you gag on this movie again? I don't... I think I'd need a couple years before I gagged on it again. It marinates, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I certainly will gag on some more Resident Evil after this. Oh, absolutely. I might gag on a Bruce Willis flick. I'd gag on Bruce Willis all day, every day. Definitely will try and do more Chris Tucker. I feel like I haven't... I didn't give him enough credit as a actor. I mean, he does... He does his thing. Like, he has his thing and he does it in this movie he does it in rush hour and he does it in i mean he's a stand-up he does it in his in his stand-up career i think this is more nuanced than rush hour though for him i think this is a really cool performance the nuances of rush hour versus versus this fifth element well i think rush hour is a little bit not a uh not not acting i wonder if that movie holds up probably Probably not not, no i mean there are two stereotypes we're forced to be played stereotypes you know like it was a sad time for, I mean, for, for Hollywood. diversity and I mean, it's still a sad time. But for now everything is great and we're all yeah, of course. We're all better mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. We've we done it, you guys. Exactly we did right. it. Yeah. But we can I, talk again, about Fifth Element without uh, ignoring the more problematic mm-hmm. uh, tropes we've seen. But I think Chris Tucker's giving an interesting performance. I will, I will go to my grave saying that worth worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Do you have anything you want to promote? For instance, your own podcast? Uh, yes. So I host NASA's Space Communications and Navigation podcast, The Invisible Network. Uh, we just wrapped our second season. Uh, it's a narrative podcast. We look at com tech and nav, like uh, policy development in the second season, uh, offer NASA's Artemis missions to the moon. And I know you can't speak on behalf of NASA, <laughs> but can you clue us into like how soon in the future can we expect... Um, to be able to go to another planet for spa treatments. For spa treatments? Like I don't in know. this film. I just read this really interesting book about the commercialization of space. Because obviously NASA wouldn't really be involved in your spa treatments. We do more like science and technology development. I mean, um, but you, gotta are... get, you, gotta, you gotta finish setting up infrastructure before you commercialize it. Yes, and once we have that still infrastructure... still working on that infrastructure. That space hotel will be lit. Oh. There are a bunch of plans by private companies. It's, it's a really cool time to be uh, thinking about they're already tourism. They're already like theoretically talking about how they're going to commercialize space travel. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been a big thrust of the agency for a while. And there's a bunch of private companies who have, like, tested technologies on the space station or who have plans to, like, sort of launch their own mini space stations. Um, And those are sort of, like, the nearer-term goals for, like, space tourism. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah. I wrote down space tourism because that's a huge part of this film. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's something that, I mean, hopefully will happen in my lifetime where it'll be pretty common for people to just... Maybe. Space is kind of scary. Yeah. It doesn't seem like... Low Earth Orbit's... Low Earth Orbit's old hat now. Oh, right. It's this year, I think, is going to be the 20th anniversary of the space... Of people being... Occupying the space station. So, that's 20 years of proving it's pretty safe. To live 
above orbit or live above Earth's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That's that's wild. That's yeah, isn't it cool? I can't wait to see what else uh, this film predicted <laughs> to come to fruition. <laughs> Not much, such as live live uh, live streaming. <laughs> if they and if, Postmates, you know. And I hope they prove me wrong. I hope instantaneous communications happens, and I'm just being a and total bitch. <laughs> action star Mila Jovovich. Mm-hmm. Lots of things predicted by this film that thankfully came true uh and on that note we should probably wrap up and say uh goodbye to our space cadets and until next time don't fuck 15 year olds oh my god (laughs) if we can end on that but still watch this film good advice yeah watch this film but be good to each other just don't be a fucking grosso no <sighs> and uh until then let's um how should we end it i don't know how we should end this damn it everything was going so well until i tried to wrap it up <laughs> into a nice bow and then realized i don't have a fucking bow to wrap it up in so um fuck yeah ruby rod and the diva dance forever, forever. bye, bye. Oh.